I'm Chris Reback. This is Chris Reback's Conversations. Chances are you hadn't heard of New Rochelle, New York before about a month ago. It's New York's seventh largest city, located just 30 minutes north of the heart of Manhattan. It was founded by refugee Huguenots, French Protestants, who were fleeing religious persecution from France in 1688. During the 1930s, New Rochelle was the wealthiest city per capita in New York State and the third wealthiest in the country. For listeners of a certain age, or any of you who watch the classic TV shows on YouTube, you'll also know that New Rochelle is where Rob and Laura Petrie lived in The Dick Van Dyke Show. It has a strong business community and cultural scene, and it's beautiful. It sits right on the water and is known as the Queen City of the New York Sound. Of course, right now, New Rochelle, New York has become known for something else. One of America's multiple ground zeros of the coronavirus. Nearly every major media organization has suddenly paid a visit. And if you Google New Rochelle now, as you might imagine, nearly every result has something to do with the virus. And the face of New Rochelle through all of this, the one racing from town meetings to food distribution centers to senior living homes to religious groups to 60 Minutes interviews, is the city's hometown mayor, Noam Bramson. And I mean hometown. Noam was born in New Rochelle. He grew up there. After leaving for college, he returned. He's been mayor since 2006, and it's where he's now raising his own family. So how do you run a municipality through a pandemic? And what's it like to see the place you love, your home, go through this kind of challenge? Well, that's what we discussed. Two important notes before we begin. First, let me put my bias on the table right away. I've known Noam for nearly 30 years. We met in grad school. He was very smart, unnecessarily modest, and always friendly. As you'll hear, some things don't change, even when you've had to lead your hometown through a pandemic. Second note, and ask from me to you. I hope you like these conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. Thank you. That's it. Here's my conversation with New Rochelle Mayor Noam Bramson. Noam, thanks for joining me. Glad to be with you. How's your family? How are Katie and the kids? How are you? Well, uh, thank you for asking. Um, I think they're coping as well as possible. Uh, we feel fortunate that our own health is good, that um, uh, the great majority of our friends and all of our family are similarly um, uh, in good health. Um, we're trying to think of this as enforced family time, um, an opportunity to kind of slow down the, the normal pace of life and try to appreciate things that might otherwise escape our attention. Uh, that's probably more possible for Katie and the kids than, than it is for me because I'm um, still consumed with uh, with work responsibilities. Uh, but I guess like every other family, we're uh, still coming to grips with what the long-term implications of all of this will be, uh, not just for public health, but for our economy and our society. I was trying to think back to some of our grad school classes. Uh, I remember econometrics. I remember case studies on carbon offsets. I don't remember our class on how to run your municipality during a pandemic. If we had it, I'm sure you got an A, but I I really don't <laughs> yeah, think it existed. That, I missed that one too. <laughs> you did? We, we needed, out of, out of the two of us, we needed you to take that class. So uh, how does one figure out how to run New York's seventh largest city during the biggest health scare of our lives when you didn't take the class? Well, I guess we're all kind of making it up as we go along, if we're going to be completely honest. Um, 
and uh, we're all getting a crash course in subjects that we never expected to be exposed to. Um, look, I, I've tried to think about what my role and responsibility is in all this. Um, a city like New Rochelle does not have its own public health responsibilities. It doesn't have its own public health apparatus. So when it comes to specific measures that are intended to limit the spread of the virus, we take direction from county and state authorities who do have the expertise. And we are participants in discussion so that we try to sensitize those authorities to what the impacts are likely to be at a local level. But then ultimately they make the call and we do our best to support their decisions and to communicate the effect of those decisions to constituencies within New Rochelle um, that, uh, that might bear burdens as a consequence. Um, beyond that, I think um, the function of a local official in a context like this is to um, support the social infrastructure of our city, uh, to recognize that there will be a whole series of human and economic needs that will flow from the public health crisis and to try to mobilize resources from community agencies and volunteers and and donors so that we're in a position to address those needs as effectively as possible. And also to give people in the community as a whole a sense that their government is focused on the challenge at hand, uh, that we have a measured and balanced approach, which uh, is uh, proportionate in its concerns and actions to the scale of the uh, of the problem before us, but also calm, um, uh, focused on the facts, uh, not uh, not hysterical in any way. So just having a kind of a, a moderated tone in all of our communications and appearances, uh, I think, is an important part of what uh, a local government can do. Uh, and then there are also just the basic operational questions. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to continue delivering uh, essential services. Uh, firefighters still need to respond if there's a call. Police officers still need to uh, maintain order. The garbage still needs to be picked up. Um, so uh, continuity of those basic functions is is vitally important, even as our our white collar workforce is uh, sort of reduced to a, a skeleton crew uh, here in City Hall in keeping with um, the governor's directives to reduce the density of all workplaces. So it's a, it's a radically altered work environment for the municipality, and yet the work product in terms of the services people receive moment to moment and day to day needs to be maintained. It's just a continual balance and bouncing from the, the daily affairs of keeping the city running to these extreme concerns and I guess, you know, as you're saying, maintaining a level tone so that uh, everything keeps functioning, that people don't uh, get too um, uh, concerned um, and yet don't lack concern or, you know, I guess get, getting that balance of the appropriate level of concern so that everyone's taking the action uh, to support themselves and their neighbors and the town um, while also keeping a municipality running. It, it sounds like um, it's just continual balance while bouncing from uh, one thing to the next. I, I think that's correct. And I think that to one degree or another, that's what everyone in public leadership is trying to attain. Um, it's essential that people take seriously the recommendations, and in some cases more than recommendations, uh, for social distancing. It's essential that we do everything possible to protect uh, the most vulnerable among us, including those um, 
who have uh, pre-existing medical conditions or compromised immune systems. Uh, it, it's vital that we uh, engage in the personal practices, the individual responsibility that can protect our, ourselves and our families. And yet, if we become panicked, if we give into fear, if we become divided, then all of those things are ultimately self-defeating and lead to bad decision-making. Um, and look, the good news is, at least in Rochelle, in my sense, is elsewhere, I think most people have struck that balance well. Um, I'm actually proud of how this community has risen to the occasion. And, and we sort of faced this a little earlier than most other uh, municipalities because there was a, an early outbreak in New Rochelle, which is why we've received some attention. Uh, but um, uh, folks have really uh, approached this challenge in a way that is mature and measured um, and, again, proportionate to the issues that we're facing. Uh, but not straying into any form of, uh, of hysteria. And, um, and I think that's served us well and will, will continue to serve us well as this moves forward. How did you first hear about patient zero in New Rochelle, that someone in your community had the coronavirus? And how, how much did you even know about it at that moment? So uh, interestingly, I first heard about it from a New York City official uh, because this particular index patient uh, lives in New Rochelle but works in New York City. And so um, it, it got to me roundabout uh, through New York. Um, and that like began... A, like a phone call or, or yeah, an email? Yeah, it, it was a phone call. A phone call um, uh, saying, hey, this has happened. Uh, let's share information and let's make sure we're coordinating on, on how we message this. So it was a it was a a sensible and appropriate outreach to a sister municipality on a challenge that we were going to uh, share in common, um, and uh, that phone call, as you might imagine, uh, initiated a kind of a, a whirlwind uh, over the next few weeks um, of uh, consultation with county and state officials of uh, communication with um, hospital administrators and folks in the public health space, uh, with uh, uh, communication with constituencies within New Rochelle who were particularly impacted initially. It was the house of worship to which this index patient belonged, many of uh, whose members had to be under immediate quarantine. Um, So uh, there was a a kind of a, a, a quick learning process that was required uh, not just on the nature of the virus itself and how it spreads, but also on the, the public health measures that are necessary in order to contain it. And um, uh, all of the kind of mechanisms through which uh, information is shared between different levels of government, uh, as well as between government and people, you know, to some degree that infrastructure was in place, but it really had to be uh, beefed up very significantly and tailored to the, the specific challenge that we were facing. Uh, and then it kicked up further when, at the state's direction, something called a containment zone was established in New Rochelle, yeah. um, which was widely misunderstood, uh, maybe because the term just conjures an image of a kind of militarized perimeter um, from which you know people are prohibited from entering or leaving. That was not at all the case. It was really just an area in which large institutions were were closed and large gatherings were prohibited. Um, and at the time, it seemed like a forceful and necessary response to the outbreak of the virus in New Rochelle. And yet a week later, uh, those measures already looked mild. 
Uh, and in fact, they were overtaken and exceeded by new standards that were in place statewide, multi-state. Um, so, you know, in a sense, all of New York is a containment zone now. And I think we're on yes, our way to is. all of America being a containment zone. But it, but it came here first, and that shone a spotlight on New Rochelle, which um, uh, put all sorts of requirements on how we communicated this reality to our own public and how we communicated externally to prevent there from being additional negative impacts placed on the people of Nourishell, like companies refusing to deliver into the containment zone, for example, which is something that um, was a real issue for lots of residents here. Yeah. So can I ask you, so you get the phone call of the index patient. What is literally the first thing that you do? Whom do you call if you're able to talk about that? I mean, what, what are those immediate first steps? Uh, as I recall, and it's a little bit of a blur now, feels yeah. like it was a year ago, even though it was only a few weeks ago. Um, my first call was to George Latimer, who is the Westchester County Executive. Um, so all the public health functions in this county are centralized within the county government. And so I knew it would be the County Department of Health that would have to be the lead actor in how we address this. And in fact, uh, later that morning, I traveled up to the county uh, office building, uh, participated in a group meeting with uh, the county executive staff, and we held a press conference to sort of announce uh, what had happened and to try to put it in some sort of context and describe a path forward. Um, I also spoke that morning with both the rabbi and the president of the congregation uh, that I mentioned earlier uh, that was... Uh, that was and still is heavily impacted by uh, by this index patient who attended a number of large group gatherings uh, within within the house of worship yeah. before um, he before he knew what he had exactly yeah. it, to be very clear he bears no moral responsibility for what yeah. occurred whatsoever i mean he 's a, a victim in this process, and uh, I think everyone is glad that he initially he had some there was some real concerns about his prognosis, but now he seems to be doing much better. And um, that's a source of relief to, to many people in our community. Yeah. Um, so that was the initial contact. It was reaching out to the county authorities. That's where the health department was. That's where the expertise was. Um, and figuring out what is an appropriate coordinated response. What can I do as a city official to support the county in their efforts? And how can we jointly communicate to um, a community in a region that will rightly be concerned about where we're going from here? Did you know the family, the, 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 the lawyer? Uh, no, I did not know him personally, uh, although I have since been in touch with his family. I do know some of their relatives and know many of their friends and their neighbors. Um, so um, it, it, it is a community within which I have a number of relationships, but I did not know him personally. Yeah, the, the degrees of separation, particularly for uh, you know someone like you who is born and raised and lived and raising a family in New Rochelle, the degrees of separation have to be like you know point oh one percent. Yes, that's definitely true. I mean, there are eighty thousand people in New Rochelle, um, and on one on the one hand, that makes us a sizable community, as you pointed out, we're the seventh largest city in in uh, in New York State. On the other hand, we are literally one one hundredth of the size of New York City. Um, so we're like a, in the in the context of a major metropolitan area, we're just like a neighborhood. Um, and so there are there is a web of relationships and um, 
uh, lots of people know lots of people, and uh, the degrees of separation are pretty limited. We often hear about you know a term like the fog of war when going into a new situation and like trying to navigate without a map and without night goggles. Is that kind of what it was like, or or did you have a map? Were you given maps? Um, was there a fog of of war type sense at the beginning? Oh, for sure. And I think to some degree, uh, that's still the case today. Uh, I mean, I'll give you one example. Uh, there's a lot of interest, understandable interest among residents of New Rochelle to know how many positive cases do we have today? Um, so that we could sort of measure, are we making progress? Is the number going up? Is it going down? Is the rate of increase changing? How do we compare to other communities in, in the region? Um, and, um, you know, from 20,000 feet, that seems like a, a sensible thing to measure. But when you get into the weeds, that statistic becomes almost meaningless. It, it's impossible to know how many of those positive cases reflect an actual spread of the virus uh, versus how many are simply detection of the virus as testing ramps up. Um, so even if no one new contracts COVID-19, uh, that number will still go up. Uh, furthermore, um, cross-community comparisons are almost meaningless because at least up until now, the testing within New Rochelle has been much more intensive than elsewhere. So you would expect to have a higher number of positive cases, even if our actual percentage of positive cases in the general population is comparable to that of other communities or, or perhaps even, even lower. And finally, there's a kind of a lag time between the number of positive cases that are reported from multiple sources to the state and that are aggregated at the county level, and then uh, the specific positives that we receive um, from state authorities, from county authorities here in New Rochelle. So to the extent that the numbers are cycling up at an accelerated rate, the number that we can publish is perpetually two or three days behind. Um, so again, this is just one small illustration of how a seemingly simple measure mm. becomes enormously complicated when you get into it and can actually be somewhat misleading. So we publish it on our website, but we do so in a heavily caveated way uh, so that folks can put it into context and um, not over-interpret the, the data. So you've described how you are interacting throughout the community. You have an obligation to go to uh, visit with various leaders and not just leaders, but everyday people and making sure that food is getting delivered and that garbage is getting picked up and that uh, you know, people are getting the services that they need. How concerned have you been about your own personal health? And I probably guess I have a sense of your answer to that. I imagine that you're not worrying much about yourself. Um, and so maybe more directly and real question, how concerned has your wife Katie been about you? Uh, so I think in terms of our own personal health, uh, we have not really had any concerns. I mean, neither my wife nor I are in a vulnerable category. We don't have pre-existing or underlying conditions. Uh, we're both in our 50s. Um, so I, I, you can never be sure, of course, because there's a lot of uncertainty with any illness. But I think it's highly likely that if we were to contract the virus, you know, for us, it would be like a bad cold or the flu, and we'd get over it, and we'd be okay. Uh, my concerns are of a different nature. Because even in this era of social distancing, uh, the nature of my job is such that I see a lot of people. 
I worry about my being a carrier mm. who could infect others, including lots of people in leadership positions. Uh, I also have an elderly mother, uh, and I'm staying away from her, which is difficult for both of us. But you know, I try to call her two or three times a day, so I have a concern on on that level as well. Um, I did think at one point about getting tested um, on the theory that maybe everyone in a leadership position should get tested for just the reason that I gave a moment ago. But then I, I ultimately opted not to uh, for a couple of reasons. First, uh, because I don't meet any of the state standards by which they are prioritizing testing. And I'm sort of reluctant to cut the line and, um, uh, you know, bump someone who may need the test more directly than I do. Uh, and secondly, because the nature of this is you can get a negative test one day and then contract it two days later. Yeah. Um, and so there can be sort of a false sense of security that comes with a negative test. So if I were to become symptomatic, then absolutely under those circumstances, I would get tested. And I would even prior to getting the results of the test, I would self-quarantine um, consistent with public health guidelines. But as long as I'm feeling well, I think it's probably uh, not helpful for me to get tested. You mentioned a moment ago the containment zone and that term and the terminology, and we've all heard it in in various areas, shelter in place in other uh, municipalities and cities. And these terms have um, a certain sense about them. And then the realities, I mean, it's not shelter in place. I saw the video of shelter in place in San Francisco, and that seemed to mean, you know, pull your rollerblades off the shelf and, and go, you know, go take a ride along the Embarcadero. Um, that term and the, that decision, as you also pointed out, was not made by the mayor of New Rochelle, but was made, I believe, by the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo. Correct. How were you told about it, and how did you react? So um, we were in intense conversations with the governor and his team for the 24 hours prior uh, to the establishment of the containment zone. The governor rightly recognized that at that time, uh, New Rochelle was a hotspot. It was one of the highest concentrations, not only in the state, but in the country, um, and that it merited uh, additional focus as a consequence. Um, uh, and we, we did learn about the ultimate decision uh, before it was announced publicly at a press conference, which I think was held at noon on that day. Um, and the way I reacted to it was that it was our obligation at the local level to explain it and to support it. Um, you know, as I said earlier, we don't have independent public health expertise uh, at the city level in New Rochelle. And I think for us to sort of independently freelance and second guess the decisions of the people who do have that expertise, who have uh, the best access to up to the minute data, who have the best understanding of the different options, who have relationships with other public health professionals at, at the national level. Uh, for us to second guess that only creates uh, chaos and confusion. And so the responsible action for a municipal official in that circumstance is to do everything possible to support the decision and help make sure it's implemented successfully. Now, you've known Andrew Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, uh, I'm sure, for a number of years. Um, he, at this point, as we are speaking, seems to be everywhere. He is becoming some combination of uh, an American hero and a sex symbol, which, and I don't want to embarrass you here, Noam, is how folks normally think of you. 
you, you know, really <laughs> strongly on that sex symbol. So I'm mean, a bit American hero, but I mean, both. But uh, let, let's not get into that now. I don't want to embarrass you. That's not the point of this conversation. Uh, um, I, I question your judgment in every regard. I'll, I'll check. I'll double but... check. I'll double check my facts. I'll, I'll double yeah. check. Maybe I'm wrong. It's possible I'm wrong. I don't think I am. Um, what it is a bit of a, a, a you know softball question, which I I don't mean it that way. Um, but but what do you think of the job he's doing? Or maybe put differently, why are people reacting um, the way they are to him? Is there is there something about what is it about what he's doing or how he's doing it that, in your view, and having been in politics and viewed politics for so long, um, why why is he getting that reaction? Well, you know, sometimes the person just meets the moment, and it turns out that um, a leader has precisely the right temperament and skill set for a challenge that's been laid before them. And I think that's the case with, uh, with Governor Cuomo. He has been magnificent from beginning to end. And I think his daily press conferences are kind of a, a masterclass in how to share information in a way that is clear and transparent, and then how to put that information in appropriate context so that um, people can process it, and think about what it means for their lives. Uh, he has used what he himself describes, I think, as constructive impatience in order to move the gears of government um, as quickly as they can possibly move, which is necessary in a fast-moving crisis of this kind. And you can see day by day uh, the pace of policymaking and administration that's coming from the state but filtering down. Uh, has been moving along with um, with the virus itself, uh, and um, just his own kind of philosophical observations um, mm. and personal reflections about his own family, which in another context you might think would be sort of sharing too much or not the kind of thing that you elect a governor for. Uh, in a moment like this, when people are feeling so insecure and so uncertain about what the future holds, and in, in some respects, uh, you know, literally isolated from each other. To have a governor who can speak with that kind of wisdom and thoughtfulness, uh, you know, he's almost like uh, uh, the state therapist. Um, and uh, I think we need that. So uh, he is, uh, I don't know about sex symbol. That's not something that occurred to me before you mentioned it. But all the other accolades that have come his way, I think, have been well earned. He has served the state exceptionally well. And I think uh, you're right. He's serving as a model as well for leadership nationally. Yeah, he is. And I might add with just a touch of bias, it's also possible that he's watching your appearances on 60 Minutes and on CNN and I'm on MSNBC. And uh, what you know, the, even right now, people can hear it the way you're talking. So, so yes, he is doing that. And uh, luckily for uh, the citizens of New York and of New Rochelle, um, other uh, civic leaders are doing similarly. Could we close by talking just a little bit about Nuro? You were born there. Of course, I, I know that you left there for college, but I forget, did you come back to New Rochelle immediately after? I, I did. Right after college and grad school, I came back to New Rochelle um, and began working almost immediately for uh, Nita Lowy, Nita Lowy uh, who's yeah, a member yeah. of, she's a member of Congress at the time. She represented New Rochelle. Since then, the lines have been redrawn, so she's no longer our congressperson. But um, uh, yeah, I, I began working for like her. You've spent like 90% of your life has been in New Rochelle, New York. 
Yeah, it really has. I mean, aside for again, aside from college and graduate school, this is the only place I've lived. It's the only place I've ever thought about living. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I managed to, uh, convince my wife to move here when we got engaged and I feel lucky to be raising my own kids here. It's a, it's a really interesting community, enormously diverse by every metric, um, uh, race, uh, heritage, uh, religion, socioeconomic characteristics, land use characteristics. And I think it gives, um, a texture to life that, um, that I've, found to be very rewarding growing up here and that I'm, uh, I feel like my kids will understand the real world in a way that uh, folks who grow up in other places might not. The, I went to the city website and it still greets you with a beautiful sunset photo and the headline, New Rochelle, ideally yours. Uh, Beautiful neighborhoods, extraordinary schools and libraries, a rich cultural history and a lively nightlife. I mean, it really has always and uh, will, I am sure you feel in the future, represented just a wonderful place to be able to access the, you know, New York City, if that's where one wants to work or enjoy the cultural benefits of New York City, um, but, but provide a community and businesses and families and upbringing, um, just, uh, I think as, as you, uh, point out, just 30 minutes from the heart of Manhattan. Well, I think we should put you on our marketing staff, Chris, <laughs> because that was perfectly phrased. And I would say all those characteristics you ticked off are very much the case today and will be the case tomorrow. Uh, our nightlife is on hold, uh, as it is uh, everywhere, except if you're taking out or ordering delivery. Yeah. But um, uh, we'll get back to it. And, or, um, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, or playing board games at the uh, Branson household at night. <laughs> yeah, that's um, back with, with a glass of wine in hand. That will qualify as nightlife for the time being. Terrific. Uh, Noam, we might not have had a class on how to run your municipality during a pandemic uh, 30 years ago, but I think we all know who will be teaching that class when they have them uh, going forward. Thank you. Thank you for your leadership, Noam, and thank you uh, more so, of course, for your friendship. Thank you, Chris. A real pleasure talking with you. That was my conversation with Noam Bramson. My thanks to Noam for the conversation and you for listening. Quick reminders, if you liked this conversation, please give it the five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And don't forget to sign up for my newsletter at chrisreback.com. That's all for today. I'll talk with you soon.